0: Welcome to the Republican Professor this morning. We have with us Bob Zeinstra. Do you go by Bob or Robert?
1: I go by Bob, although you know in all my written correspondence, I usually use robert i'm I'm okay. actually a junior, and so I don't know gotcha. I just res- respect my Dad that way.
0: <laughs> well, good morning, Bob, and we have Curtis joining morning. us from Texas as well. Bob is in Texas, and I'm in frozen California (laughs) you're freezing here I got my navy watch cap on yeah and welcome welcome Bob good to have you
1: hey it's really great to be here Lucas and Curtis Uh, enjoy your podcast Um, caught up recently on your JP interview and um, just really excited to be here oh thanks we're excited to have you
2: yeah, i i met I met Bob uh, just to, to let you and and everybody else know. I met Bob through um, mutual contact at our church here, uh, Church of the Holy Communion. Uh, Guido Verbeck, uh, he's a professor of uh, science up at up at UNT, and that's where Bob went to reach out for your ministry, right? And we'll learn yeah. a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Guido and I go to church together, and so. Uh, then you had come to our church as well, right? You visited there. Uh,
1: I haven't, actually, it's interesting to say that. I'm going to visit with uh, Father Charlie next week, and that'll be my first time at the church. Okay. But okay. I, I did a Theology on Tap that's, session. That's,
2: once. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Um, theology on Tap, uh, where we get around and talk theology, talk topics at, at our church anyway. Um, that over, sounds interesting. So you guys beer. drink beer? Oh, yeah. You, you have You do theology and you drink beer? Oh, you can't, I don't think you can do theology without beer myself, but that's just a personal, you know, view, yeah. <laughs> but we, yeah, we just go, we, you know, we have a, we have a keg there at the church. And so we, we do a keg party uh and uh, <laughs> sit around and enjoy beer or wine. And we have a barbecue and it's just, it's mostly a bunch of guys sitting around um talking about, you know, theology and trying to get deep on things, um, how to, you know, do things in the culture. But anyway, that's, that's how, that's the context in which I met uh, Bob. And then I found out, oh, wow, this guy went to Talbot and he had, we had this shared experience. I just wanted to reach out and meet him. And so I did, and we went to lunch and we kind of had a, we had a great lunch. That was a great couple hours. um, So just learned about everything that he did. And that's what I want to talk to, talk to you about. So, or have you talk to us about
1: sure i'm i'm um i'm wide open um it's been a real blessing to be here in texas for the short time i have and god's opened a lot of doors for me so happy to share awesome so bob so, are
0: you in oh sorry no no i was, go just, ahead. Gonna, I was just gonna ask because i don't know bob yeah, yeah. are you in corporate america or are you full time missionary okay yeah
1: me. yeah my my full-time job is i work for toyota motor north america and actually, I have a position in Texas, but my responsibility is global. So,
0: hold on—that's I've never heard of that company. What's how do you spell it again? Yeah, T O
1: Y O T A. It's the real uh, Toyota. Okay. Toyota, yeah, Toyota. Motor North America. And you know, we used to be in Torrance, California, for the they, sales and marketing arm, but now we're cars. Plano, Texas. Yes, yes. In okay. fact. Uh, hate to hate to brag a little bit, but we're the market leader right now, um, even surpassing GM and Ford. Yeah, no. <laughs> Gosh,
2: well, I just thought they made trying to catch up.
1: Yeah, I just thought well, they made one more. Yeah, and you know, market leader in California too, Lucas. So you just got to keep your eyes open. You'll see a couple.
0: We drive a Toyota. <laughs> we are huge fans of Toyota. Thank you. I, Thank I, you. I, I used to be a bigger fan, but then I lost all this weight. I used to be a lot bigger.
1: did you and 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 that was good for driving in Toyotas um no not necessarily
0: (laughs) we have a Yaris and uh, oh yeah but I love that little thing it's it's perfect for zipping around parking lots and uh -hmm. yeah
1: that's been a really good car for us we've had a couple of those in our family we've had seven Prius in our family Uh, obviously we've had a ton of Toyotas
0: we think that Toyota is the gift that keeps on giving myself but I probably shouldn't say that because they're not paying us any anything at least right now Bob Bob can ha- right. Bob can change that
1: that's right that's right maybe there's a sponsorship in the future Toyota's doing well I've been there uh twice once for 22 years that's the current wow uh, that's a session. Well and then I was uh, there launching Lexus for three years. So, a total of 25 years. I've worked for Ford Motor Company. I worked for General Motors. And I worked for uh, three or four marketing agencies while in California. So, that's about a 35 year stretch.
0: Wow. I did not, Bob, I, I did not know you had that much experience in corporate America. That's, that's quite <laughs> impressive.
1: Yeah. It's, it's been a great learning experience before I came to Texas. I was in Tokyo for three years and that was mind blowing in terms of the corporate culture. Yeah. Oh, yeah. the Societal culture, the collectivism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So, wow. And I'm really, really happy to be in Texas. I mean, just the values here match up to mine very, very well. Mm. Tell
0: me your current position again at Toyota.
1: Yeah, my my current position is I'm general manager of global sales support, and actually we have an internal brand name which is Best in Town International. Doesn't mean anything to an external person, person, but we're we're focusing on helping distributors. Distributors meaning countries: Malaysia, Indonesia, Vietnam, uh, Peru, right, etc. Be uh, the best in town for providing service and customer satisfaction. So we bring a lot of our know-how from the U.S. and we export it in the way of consulting and, and best practice sharing and knowledge management around the globe. So my my group sits here in Texas, but all we do is work with global uh, distributors, countries uh, every day. Wow,
2: that's cool. It's great fun. You you did you did some marketing for a time too, right?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, um, for Toyota here, just in the states, uh, for five years I was head of advertising for Toyota, and Toyota's the sixth largest advertiser in United States behind Ford, GM, Verizon, and a couple insurance companies um, like Geico, and so a lot of work to do there to to create meaningful advertising uh, that. Supports our brand, supports our vehicles, supports sales events. It was uh, great fun. And then prior to that, I had some product marketing as well, setting price parameters and packaging and specs and this sort of thing for certain models. It's been a great career at Toyota.
2: That's cool. Sounds like you've really been able to uh, infuse your your own like your your love for people. In, mm. in both of those areas, in, in the marketing and in this part role that you're in now?
1: You know, uh, you, you said it really well, Curtis, when a person, and I talked to college students about this sometime, when you can find a company where your values fit the corporate values, and not all companies have their corporate values very solid, right, that you can identify them. Toyota does. When you find that match, you just got to find a way to stay there. And uh, Toyota's corporate culture is, Two main pillars: uh, continuous improvement and respect for people. Mm. Uh, and so that matches up with me real well. And a lot of us long-time Toyota folks say the same thing.
2: That's that's really cool to know that about mm-hmm. Toyota. That's mm-hmm. cool. You know, it's interesting because I I love I'm a Toyota lover too. I had a Toyota Land Cruiser for mm-hmm. forever. Seventy six Toyota Land Cruiser. Drove that thing for twenty years. So it was one of my favorite cars. I got half a million miles on it. I mean, you know, it it was just talk like Lucas says, talk about the gift that keeps giving Mm -hmm. Um, a huge fan. My, my father-in-law gave us a a Camry, all all these things. I mean, it it was wonderful. Um, But, but what, what, as I've, as, as all this cultural, as cultural things have happened, I've kind of been like, well, but, you know, I, I don't know, it's it, they're they're not an American company, but I know they make a lot of cars here. And, you know, I, I have that I, I recognize that struggle, um, but it's really hard. It's really easy to look past all that when we're, you're cutting across, uh, I guess, nationalist lines, really, and going after the human person um, in the right ways and flourishing ways that makes it easy,
1: you know. Yeah, so true. when when we can help equip our dealers who are sitting in the United States, they're American citizens, they're investing in their local communities, we can help equip them to be best in town and yeah. providing service and support. And we're not perfect, but we try to be perfect. Um, then. Yeah, all the nationalistic stuff goes away. And then, of course, we also remind people that 8 out of 10 cars we sell in the U.S., we build in the U.S. in Kentucky and Indiana and West Virginia. uh, Give us that
0: stat again. How many are built
1: in the U.S.? uh, 8 out of 10. So 80% of the cars, trucks, SUVs we sell in the U.S. are made uh, in the U.S. And when you look at the top 10 uh, content list of the magazines put out every year. This is the top 10 list of vehicles that have US content in them, mm-hmm. right? Not just assembled here, but also the parts were made here. Uh, we generally have four out of 10, sometimes five out of 10 vehicles on that list. And some of the brands that you might think would dominate that list only have two or three. Interesting. Oh.
2: Really poised, Toyota's really poised to. To uh, be stable and okay in this in this supply chain issue, everybody's dealing with.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, to your point, Curtis, it gets back to the values of of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, respect for people is not just customers, but it's employees. It's the communities we work in. I mean, believe it or not, our CEO uh, made a statement uh, fifty five years ago, and or or I should say. The, the CEO 55 years ago made a statement that was repeated by the great grandson uh, just a couple of years ago, who's our current CEO. And it's we exist so we can make profits and pay taxes in the communities that we live and operate. You don't you don't you don't hear that from corporate America, but that's part of the ethos of this company is we're here respecting people meaning the people that that live and operate in our communities by paying taxes so we can support the roads and the highways and the healthcare and everything else. So I'm, I'm so
2: struck with how conservative that is. Right. Just the uh, yes. I, I mean, not 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 necessarily what it's saying, which is conservative it, itself as well. Mm-hmm. But that. A statement was said 55 years ago mm-hmm. and that same statement and value was carried that entire time across time and mm-hmm. repeated again it's mm-hmm. a it, that's a that's a we call that tradition we call that mm-hmm. you know, heritage we call that conserving what yeah. something that was good
1: or is good yeah without so. a doubt
0: so bob yeah. uh that was a great interview thanks just kidding <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thanks happy to talk on. about ministry
0: to uh, me a lot. Yeah, <laughs> let's 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 get into you you obviously are a true believer. I I feel like I'm I'm just really trying to read you and you're you're giving the corporate talking points, but it seems like you really believe it. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's the best explanation for why you've been in that industry for so long including your current company. Mm-hmm. Um Tell us about how you got into cars. How did you, what was it? What was the, Mm -hmm. the aha moment that you had where you were like, I want to do this industry.
1: Boy, that's, that's really interesting. I got in, I got into the industry only because when I graduated Ford motor company paid the most. So I had three offers, I had marketing degree in a computer science strong miner and i really wanted to go in that direction so i got an offer from electronic data systems ross perot's company which has now been absorbed by general motors and then pitney Bowes and ford and there was no the difference was just so large that I went after the money so i had no intention where was wow. this at where did you go to college so i went to central michigan university the home of the chippewas and they're still the chippewas today uh, what, what town is that in That's in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. You know us Michiganders, where always hold our hand up. It's right up here, kind of in the middle. (laughs) So it's in central Michigan. Exactly. You got it. (laughs) Makes sense. It makes sense. And but to get back to your question, so I really didn't have a love for cars. You know, I'd fix stuff, but I'm not uh, a tinkerer and that sort of thing. I don't have a big garage to work on cars. But it was a few years into my automotive. Uh, industry career when i heard dr fry from northwood university now that's a that's another uh it's a private university i think in midland michigan and dr fry talked about the automotive industry and it was the greatest vehicle no pun intended the greatest vehicle for facilitating and transporting liberty and freedom Mm. Because a a, a car can take you anywhere, anytime, any place. And I felt that when I was young, when I got my license at 16. And I still feel that today, you know, when my wife and I say, let's just boom, let's just go somewhere anytime, any place, any reason. And that hooked me in terms of my own ethos and ideas around liberty and freedom and independence And it kind of kept me in the industry. Then you just get momentum, you know, within a particular industry and you you stay in it. Even when I was doing these marketing agency jobs, I was calling on Mitsubishi and Mazda and Toyota and Lexus and Nissan and other companies in the the industry.
2: So you specialized and they just ran with it.
1: Yeah, just ran with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So, Bob, what was it like being the head? Did you say you were the head of? advertising for Toyota?
1: Yeah, for five years, I I was uh, the, the head of all of our creative advertising. So we had uh, four agencies that reported into me and my team. And we were just constantly building, you know, commercials for TV and digital, digital units. And that sounds like a big job. And it, it was, it was a fast paced, big job. And uh, we had a little bit of uh some crises along the way and then you get pulled into that and um that well, was a I mean, you, have, you, you have
0: to do the toy you have to do the Yaris commercials mm-hmm. and then you guys make another model, right? It's like the Corolla. A couple others, yeah. Like uh a, a lot of start with C's, yeah, cameras yeah, so and Corolla. You got like and... two or three models you gotta keep track of.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 20-some 20, 20 models actually on the Toyota side, about 22. 20? You count them all up, yeah. Um, wow. And then you've got brand advertising. So you just want to talk about Toyota, Let's Go Places was the tagline that me and my team brought in. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's a great, fun job working with creative people every day. Uh, That's a great that- connection that you made about
0: liberty and yeah. cars. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's very interesting. And I totally relate to that because it is a very different feeling when you don't have to go through the line at the airport and, you know, get searched and it's just so freeing to just get in your car and have your privacy, your own stuff, your own music, not have to wait in line not have to wear a mask. I mean, I personally wear a mask in, in the car, and that's the only place I wear the mask when I'm driving alone. Yeah, but sure. uh, I don't want to fit in here in California. That, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, that that's um so, okay, so you went to college in, in yeah. Michigan mm-hmm. and you were you sounds beautiful by the way, because you guys have four seasons up there, right? Mm-hmm. We don't True, have a four. So, you got the fall, you got the awesome leaves, right? Mm -hmm. All that stuff. You got freezing winters, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. You got an awesome spring where it's like new life and the birds (sighs) come back. And yeah,
2: colorful and beautiful.
0: And you chose to leave this wonderful place in Michigan to go where? Where'd you go first?
1: Yeah, went, went to California. So I took that job with Ford Motor Company, worked a few months in Detroit, and then they transferred me out to California. So my wife and I were in California from Michigan. It was a big deal, big times for us. That was back in the 1980s. And so uh, I think California really had a lot of sizzle, had a lot of glimmer, um, and we enjoyed it. Uh, but quickly then we were transferred to Colorado and we settled in there, bought a house, had our first child. What uh, part of California? So we were in Orange County. Okay. Yeah. And in Colorado, we were near near the uh, northern area, actually closer to Cheyenne than we were Denver. Oh. Uh, that was great. But then we went back to California and then we had two other kids there, stayed for another 20 years. And that's when I worked for. Lexus and Toyota and these marketing agencies uh, for that period of time until around 2014 when I uh, left the state from Maryland uh, and then went to Tokyo and then boom Texas.
0: So how long have you been in Texas?
1: Since about April of 19 so working on three years okay. not too right. long mm-hmm. and you like it there you like yeah, Texas? I, yeah, I love it here. I, I love the, the the values. I love the sense of independence, yeah. uh, as well. The fact that we used to be our own country uh, and <laughs> we can brag about that a bit. Um, I, yeah, I I really like that uh, aspect of it. Um, as a Christian, I um, I like the the attitudes, even within the public universities here, um, the acceptance. I mean, we haven't gone into that direction that I experienced in the East coast when I was in Maryland or certainly on the West coast of denying free speech of the, the, the woke-ism, um, that, uh, you know, calls somebody uh, or changes the definition of the word intolerant. So you can now um, try to uh, put somebody down and, and keep them down. So that's not totally established here. Thank God.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's still actually a conversation and a,
1: Little bit of a struggle. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's enough to kick Rob Bob off the the program right now. Just his pro <laughs> spe- free speech uh attitude. I think it, we need it, to end this right here. It oh, is chilling. Yeah.
2: It's chilling.
0: <laughs> free speech is not something we're for here. Um, oh, I don't believe that. Just kidding. <laughs> Bob, it's so refreshing to hear you say that, and I'm glad to hear that. There's still some sanity there in the public schools and mm. universities in, in Texas. You So you're in the Dallas area? Is that roughly right? Yeah, north so of that's Dallas. That's a big area. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you're now when you were in Orange County, sounds like you had two different times. I don't know if it was both in Orange County, but yeah, they were. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you had two different times in Orange County. Is that when you went to Biola to get some graduate training? Okay. Tell us about the graduate training and what led to that. How did you get into that and how did you know about that?
1: Yeah. You know, people around me, particularly my, my son, this was probably around in the early two thousands, people around me were making statements and maybe I was hearing it externally from advertisements, from movies, the media, all of the, the external factors. And I recall my son, who's my oldest child, making some statements and I didn't know how to answer those statements. Uh, I knew that, I knew that internally they didn't feel right to me. I couldn't explain why they weren't right. Yeah. At that time he was uh, probably 14 or 15 middle years in high school. And, uh, I just thought I, I need to be equipped uh, this is this is not satisfying for me that i don 't have an answer right mm-hmm. back to first peter three fifteen so uh, I heard about can, polit- can you say
0: uh, first peter for, for three fifteen can you tell us what that is yeah i mean i
1: can I can paraphrase it for sure it 's always always be ready to give a defense and defense is uh Apologia, at least in my Greek pronunciation, right? Um, For the hope that you have and to do it with respect and reverence. Uh, Those are, you know, that's what we do at UNT and Rasha Christie. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, But back to when I had this cognitive dissonance, right? Not being able to explain things or understand what people were saying. Um, I reread. this time a little bit more seriously, mere Christianity, and got uh, got my wheels spinning. I heard about an apologetics conference at a real small church called Saddleback in uh, Orange County, and it was an amazing weekend sponsored by the church and some good people there, and Biola hosted that, so you had all the biggies on stage, and I didn't know their names at that time, but now I know you had William Lane Craig, you had Craig Hazen talking about Viola and Talbot and Coco, Turek, etc. McDowell. And that's when I said, Well, uh, I'm a learning guy. Uh, I like to learn. I like to help people learn and grow and advance and develop. And so let's let's do that. So I signed up for the program. And I I went through the certification program, not the master's program that uh, Hazen and his team offer and so it was distance learning for me and uh but it was amazing it just it just gave me resources it gave me insight and information and and now i'm just a steady learner in all of those channels and i can't get enough yeah that's great
0: well it's a there's a never ending well to draw from mm,
1: right
0: yeah and if you're curious you You can keep yourself busy for the rest of your life on this stuff, not like you arrive and you yeah. know everything you know and, and
1: you know lucas so well said, and I think it was just a few years ago that i i I said you know i I can't boil the ocean here right i've a I've got a full time job, so this is part time work for me although it's my main passion b um we all members of 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 the same body we all have specializations. And so I need to make sure when I uh, do my thing, my ministry thing, that I'm not just trying to do it all myself. A, the quality will be uh, not good, it'll be thin, and uh, B, I'll burn out. So uh, one one of my themes in starting up this Rasha Christi ministry and the other apologetics that I do here in North Texas is to look for resources and, and to team up with people, help them, they help me. Uh, and i have some specialties how do you spell
0: it again rush ratio
1: christy yeah r-e-t-i-o space like C-H-I-O.
0: rational except
1: for it, yeah, the first yeah. part of rational it's, it's rational. Latin, latin for the rationality of christ
0: and then um, christy is c-h-r-i-s-t
1: yeah okay first part of christianity basically so. yeah yeah absolutely and and actually just while i'm on that the The Russia Christie mission statement, it's a national organization, Um, it's a global movement. Yeah, we have our our basis here in in the US, but actually the, the head of Russia Christie International just lives 20 miles from me. So it's a global movement that equips university students and faculty to give historical, philosophical, and scientific reasons for following Jesus Christ. So, yes, we work with students, we work in uh, some cases with professors on campus, in some cases, we work with high school students, but it's generally around the university setting
2: yeah, that's very cool that's very mm-hmm. good i so one of the things I'm curious about is is how Toyota played into you getting involved in Roshi Christi, or was it the other way around like did Rasho Christie help you get involved in Toyota? Because Toyota had a little initiative going that I was surprised yeah. about and I think is kind of cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I can say that uh, the, the, my apologetics work and my Rasho Christi work was separate and distinct from Toyota. And Toyota is a company that really wants to fit in well and d- does a great job of it to whatever country that they're operating in. They want they want to uh, be a bit of a chameleon, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, uh, but want to culturally assimilate. And well, so...
2: That, and that's a very Christian value, right? Being, being it, it all is. things to all people, right? It and is. Being able to relate wherever they're at. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Think about Paul and Mars Hill. He did a great job of that. And so Toyota does a great job of that. Uh, but in that, uh, Toyota has adopted... Uh, a, a number of ideologies and areas that they celebrate you know the gay pride flag goes up uh, all all month long, and that's been new maybe over the last uh, five years uh, in front of our building and so I never really thought it seemed like Christianity might be pushed out of Toyota. Uh, versus um, having more free space to operate right and all the twenty five years I 've been at Toyota, there were mm, people who operated small like Bible study groups at lunch, but it was always very informal but Curtis, what I was mentioning to you, to you the other day is Toyota has now launched, and this is done by the employees, not by the corporation, has launched a an entity called Toyota Christian Fellowship. Mm. And it's got over 500 members from all around the country. And there's regular Bible studies, small groups. There's uh, prayer collectives, uh, uh, outreach, you know, to employees at, at Toyota um, to support and to create servant leaders. That's their mission statement. So when that when that raised up, and that's sponsored by the company. So the company has a program, a larger initiative called business partnering groups, meaning employees can kind of like a student organization at a university, right? Okay. If you want a basket weaving club, you could, you got enough people, you could start it. And the university would say, you're official. It's kind of like that. And so the long-standing business partnering groups have been focused on uh, certain affinities, like there is a, is a group for African-Americans, another group for uh, Latinos, another group for uh, Asian-Americans. There's a group for pet owners. Uh, there's a group for LGBTQ. And it started out in that way. Well, the latest one is a group around the Christian religion and worldview. And uh, so there could be another one um, centered around Buddhism. Yeah. But but this one is there. And back to Curtis's question, uh, there's there's now an apologetics group that's going. Didn't start with me, um, but I've can now connected into it and I've offered to help support and teach and be a member of that uh, group and community. So it's just awesome.
2: You know, Bob, I, I this wasn't even on my radar yet. Um but the more I've, but I've, I've been, since we, since we talked, right. I've Mm -hmm. I've just been chewing on this, you know, Mm -hmm. like a cow chewing it, fitting it up and chewing it again and trying to think through that because it goes against what I think a lot of people not against, but, but it's just, it's, there's some cognitive dissonance around it for sure. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. "Ah, how do I, how do I process this? And what's fascinating to me is, this is really Toyota is taking a step past what you see in all these other uh, large multinational companies like like the social media and all this where they're they're putting putting their like one ideology in front of all of them, right? And Toyota's saying, you know what we need everybody to be successful. This is bigger than any one group, and I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I would never promote socialism, but if Toyota had a socialist group and a capitalist group, like they have in their worldview of how people come together and get things done, that would still fit there too. It seems.
1: Yeah. the The business partner group has specific criteria. It has to relate to, you know, uh, supporting the business needs, supporting employee needs as well um, and there's three or four others, and and so this Christian community fits that criteria. I'm not sure all the things that you mentioned would fit that criteria right. necessarily, I, just, yeah. uh, but yeah. but yeah. But I'm just, I think your point is is well taken that uh, that Toyota has said we're not going to exclude a faith based, you know, organization that uh, receives an official endorsement from the company. We're not going to exclude that. I think that's awesome. It's actually
2: uh, very mature.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it really is. It gets back to the two pillars, respect for people, respect for people. And uh, Toyota showing that. So I think it's, it's awesome. And it's actually, when I look at my apologetics ministry here in North Texas, it's the third thing that I'm working on right now is, is that component. And it's, uh, basically taken up no time yet, but Curtis and I, when we uh, got together a few weeks ago, it had just kind of hit my radar. And so I'm I'm anxious to see where that goes uh, in the future.
0: How much of the ministry at the company involves apologetics?
1: You know, I think there are, I think there are 60 or 70 small groups that are meeting regularly and they are they're doing kind of normal small group topics, maybe taking a book of the Bible or a or a study series or a video series, you know, on right now media or something like that. There's only one that I'm aware of that has a focus on apologetics. And that's why the leadership at TCF, when they heard about that one and they know me, they hooked us up. Um, so I think just one of those 60 or 70. Mm. Mm-hmm. And and
0: Bob, how many hours a week do you work total? I mean, your job and the ministry combined.
1: Oh, you know, generally I'm, a, you know, doing one of those two things from, say, 7.30 to maybe 7 p.m., 7.30, something like that. And I'm really blessed in this time frame to be working from home most of the time and um, with my wife. And so then we try to stay connected in that nighttime, uh, you know, time frame. So, yeah, maybe 12, 12 and a half hours on Wednesdays. It's a little bit longer day because I'm at the university for that evening. Um, Last Friday, I was there in the afternoon to do late afternoon to do some tabling, you know, so. But yeah, I try to get a lot done in that time frame.
0: So your work with Ratio Christi is primarily on campus, on, on a college campus, not at the Toyota Corporation? That is That's correct,
1: correct? Okay. 100%. At the campus or virtually, like I run a book club. I think I missed that part. Yeah, yeah, so let me describe that. Uh, so Ratio Christi, I got involved with them in Maryland. That's when I came out of Biola, I knew I wanted to apply uh, my new knowledge and my growing knowledge. And uh, I'm a good facilitator, I'm not an expert in any area. Uh, I like to say that I, I mostly swim in the in the shallow end of the pool, you know, and lean on others uh, for their expertise. Uh, but I knew I had to apply this and I could do that. Uh, and so I got involved at the University of Maryland. Roscio Christie had a pretty pretty extensive application process and approval process. I was impressed with that, right? Um, What did I know about theology? What did I know about apologetics? What what was my creed, my Christian creed? And then based on all that, they approved me. So now I'm at University of Maryland for about only a year before I went to Tokyo. As I'm in Tokyo, I'm doing some Rasho Christi stuff, but it it, uh, wasn't that's not the right environment for it. And I knew I wouldn't be there long, but I was planning on coming back to North Texas and UNT did not have a Rasho Christi chapter. So my wife and I kind of figured out we'd live close to here and, and the Toyota office. And uh, then just doors got open for me and it was truly God's providence. I met Guido Verbeck and he gave me names and I'm a sales and marketing guy by nature. So I'm, I, I can easily call people and ask them for a cup of coffee and their advice. And the next thing you know, people are just helping because th- th- this environment here in Texas is very conducive to people like me wanting to bring this sort of uh, truth seeking message on the campus. And uh, so, yeah. So what do I do that every week? Uh, I either teach or bring in a speaker every Wednesday at 7 p.m. I've teamed up with a local ministry that is uh, right on the edge of campus. They have a facility right on the edge of campus, and we meet there. It's actually a former fraternity house, Uh, so it's got a stage and everything where they used to have bands playing. It's really an awesome venue, and uh, that's every Wednesday. But of course. I need to recruit speakers to come in, set in a uh, schedule, do the tabling because we're a new group and get ourselves known and, and fam- uh, familiarize ourselves on campus. Uh, and then we're doing one all-campus event per semester. And we're going to do that March 30th with actually Institute for Creation Research. They're going to come up as uh, and do a presentation called um, Adam period, not apes. And so, you know, you see the, the, uh, the topic matter there and we're going to pull in a larger group of a couple hundred, uh, people, God willing. Uh, so that's what I do on a regular basis for ratio Christie and just keep that running, keep that running. I've got a couple speakers lined up for the fall already and I'm just, you know, I'm a business person. So I'm thinking about my supply uh, and my demand and trying to manage those two things at the same time. Very cool. You got a lot on your plate. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I, I do, but I don't, I don't, my wife says that occasionally to me as well. And, uh, I, I take the cue from her to, to balance it out. Uh, but like I said, there's so many resources. If you try to do it all yourself, you're suck. You might as well be a hermit. And then you won't do a good job, and the students won't want to be around you. Um, so I've been. It sounds really like blown. your
0: skill set is is bringing people together.
1: <laughs> yes. Would you yeah. say that's fair? Yeah, absolutely. Facilitating, collaborating—it is a skill set, and I'm using it in this way. Um, and I get a chance to teach—you know, maybe every fourth or fifth time. So that really uh, helps me too to learn, because when you when you teach, you learn, right? And practice my own skills at being an apologist who's winsome and who's inquisitive and not dogmatic, right? So um all those things are are learning, learnings for me as well. It's it's a hard thing to learn how to say
0: I'm sorry really well. Or <laughs> yes. did you mean something else by apolog apolo- be an apologist? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, sometimes you have to say that. I so, misunderstand. Oh. I, I certainly have found myself saying that more often than not when I'm I not say apologizing something. apologizing a lot. When I say I something feel in guilty about something. Yep. But it's, as you know, it's the defense in a, in a philosophical way, right, of, of uh, the faith. In fact, you know, the easiest thing for me to say to a student to explain what we do, because our target is someone who identifies as a Christian but they don't, um, they don't really have it together to answer the tough questions. So I'll ask them, so tell me, why are you a Christian? And boom, they'll quickly go to, well, I was raised in a Christian home and my parents are Christian, my grandparents were Christian or my grandfather was a pastor. Um, okay, well, then why should I be a Christian? Well, You know, because it helps me and God, I I was tabling last week and asked somebody that question. You know, God will do things for us. He'll help us out. Is that right? So it's kind of the big vending machine in the sky, right? The big daddy in the sky. Um, And so uh, if those two questions can't be answered well by someone who identifies as a Christian, then I say, hey, the answers to those things are in Ratio Christi. If, you know, stay with your other group, you need that other group camp, uh, you know, crew or inner varsity or uh, some of the other uh, campus groups, stay with them because they're a great community for you, but attend our sessions as well. And uh, whether Zoom or in person, we're going to teach you things that help you be that uh, apologist, that first Peter 315 person who can give a defense or give a reason for the hope that is in them. If you can't give that reason on the campus, then you're really going to be sunk.
0: Can I yeah. ask you a question? Oh, sorry. Go
1: ahead. I was just going to
2: say, if you can't give that reason, it, it's not just about reaching others. It's, it's, mm. it's about you, you know, you'll start. Yeah. You, Cause we need that hope. We, you know, kindled and, and we need those to lean on those reasons for our own faith.
1: So true. So true. Uh, I think about, um, Hilary Ferrer, if you know Hilary, she's uh, one of the main authors of Mama Bear Apologetics, the book and now the website and the speaking series. You said Hilary
0: and my blood pressure went up and then you said another <laughs> and I was like, no. oh thank. Oh,
1: thank you, yeah, no, this thank is this you. is thank a you, different Lord. different Hilary. Yeah.
0: She, but uh, so Hilary, uh, what's her last name? Ferrer, F How E R R E R. How do you spell R-R-E-R. it? R R E R. Oh wait, uh, did you say Mama Bear apologetics? Mama Bear. Apologetics. Oh, I follow them. Oh yeah, they're great.
2: Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah We we awesome. talked about when we were together at lunch. I was like, oh yes, her on that would be great.
1: <laughs> she's she's amazing. It's the a rest good idea, of team, yeah, they're they're amazing. But she did us a great service by talking to our students, actually kicking off this semester, and mm-hmm. she was talking about emotionalism. But to Curtis's point, she talked about the value of apologetics in her life. You know, before she could ever extend her faith out, she, she went through a period of doubt and uh, apologetics helped her secure and, and uh, found, you know, create a foundation and ground her faith really well. And now she's off and running. So, yeah, without that. And to your point, Curtis, a lot of those students who identify as Christians, they are fence sitters right mm-hmm. now. Yes. They don't really even know if they should stay on the team. And so so a lot of what we do, maybe 70, 80 percent is giving them answers. And then we give them opportunities when we table or we do ministry on campus uh, to, uh, you know, extend that knowledge uh, outward and the rest of their lives. Frankly,
2: Yeah, it's a apologetics is like a gateway to discipleship you know oh,
1: bingo
0: bingo yeah. well it's, said what what's blowing my mind about this conversation is you have a businessman you're obviously very good in the corporate world corporate but but the corporate mentality the business mentality and the business training is i think i've taught in business departments for over 10 years and um i come from a family of entrepreneurial spirit and um my grandfather owned uh i started and owned a a restaurant chain all across the united states um but like what you you were saying about the chameleon that is that gives me anxiety when i hear that i mean i know curtis had a different reaction uh, and to some extent it is true that christians are sort of like that i mean it's good mission mission mindset to be a kind of a chameleon to a point. And I know that's what you meant, Curtis, but but just to per- push that in a little bit more, to be pro-free speech at this window of time, because in this area, that fits the culture is not to be pro speech free speech that's that's not to have the principle that it doesn't matter if it fits with the culture we're pro free speech but at the same time if you're a business the whole point of the business is to create profits to create a good product and and make people happy and bring value to, to bring profit to the company and the business mindset that so many believers have uh like what you said what you know how they relate to god what what's the point of relating to god well it's it's like a business relationship i'm developing i'm networking networking with god you know he can eventually get me something Hmm. and that's that's just not a firm like just like with the free speech it's not a firm foundation going forward so what you're doing is it's interesting i mean you really do have a firm foundation you personally i'm talking about you you're bringing that firm principle there in business culture, and you're also bringing it through your ministry, uh, which is what we need to to flourish. I think it's the best. I think it's the best ultimate place. Something that respects people really does respect people, not just to fit in, because fitting in might disrespect people, right? I mean, we've seen that. <laughs> yeah, but in history, we don't have to list all all those out. But, but to have that vision of how f- people flourish, right? We're created in the image of God. Bringing ICR in, uh, helping people answer those questions, uh, being ready to defend the hope with reverence mm-hmm. and gentleness and respect, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that is that's really exciting for me to see that a business person like yourself decided I'm I need to be more equipped to bring the conditions for flourishing and 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 healing and growth uh, into the not only the business world but also, What's pumping out all our future employees, which is the campus culture, because those are the future CEOs, those are the future team leaders, supervisors, line employees, managers, and how can we support you? What's your website? How do we how do we find out more information about how to get involved? You're in the Dallas area or
1: where whatever city you're in. Well, yeah, thank you. And you know Ratio Christie against build R A T I O C H R I S T I dot org. We'll link that. Yeah, and we'll that's link the,
0: whatever you want us to link.
1: I'll, I'll I'll send you the specific link for University of, of North Texas as well. If anyone wanted to, uh, you know, even twenty five dollars helps me buy pizza for one of our meetings, and the more food we have, and the better it is. That's really more, good. The more people try to come you know um but i'll give you both of those links and uh, and and then the but the website people can find out more about this organization that is ready for them and we have about i think we've got about 170 chapters right now in the states but we want to get to a thousand and so we're on an aggressive growth pattern. I'm not responsible for that, but there's other people that are. And so if, if you're a person like me, and I think that's what I really like, Lucas, about what you said. If you're a person like me who has a heart for obviously for loving God and then loving our, our fellow man and that fellow man, my, my passion happens to be for, this, for the student I think they're fun to be around. I think they're engaging. I think their brains are, are just kind of finishing developing. And so what a great opportunity. So if you have that same sort of passion, then RC is a group that can just help you facilitate directing those passions Mm -hmm. in the right way. Even if you come into a chapter and I've had two or three people now in my two years who've just come into my group as adults and they're watching. They're learning. One of them went and started his own chapter at TCU, and others are are learning. And now they're doing more at their church, you know, like an every Sunday kind of apologetics group. So um, we can support each other that way. And RC is a great platform with resources and stability uh, and an infrastructure. So yeah, that would be my uh, encouragement for anyone who's got that organizational ability, maybe like I have, uh, and can pull other people in, um, that's what it takes. That's what it takes to, to get things going. Now um, you know I hope, I hope and I pray that God continues to bless us at UNT and that He gives me personal opportunities uh, to, to do more of this, But God's going to lead. We just stay faithful, (laughs) and and He brings His Spirit into play, and He knows where we're going to need to go next. You know, whether it's a a topic or whether it's a um, new ministry at a new venue. You know, we'll just. Yeah, I was
0: going to say, how do you pick the topic? Like, is it just Mm -hmm. something that's on your heart personally, or are you hearing back from people? Yeah. How do we know that we're
1: that we are created? By God, mm. you know, or something. Yeah. You- so I, again, using this sort of business background, I, I think about my customers and uh, I've got the four buckets of philosophy, science, history, and then society. Right. And I'll pick some things out in those buckets and create kind of a master list. And then I ask my officers and other students through just a polling system, Hey, what, what interests you most? What direction should we go? And then I try to use that as, as a basis you know, for putting things together. I'll tell you, for example, this started an idea, uh, th- that process started an idea one year ago that instead of every session being a, a-, a topic uh, like intelligent design uh, or AI uh, or uh, the historicity of the Bible, right? Standard apologetics topics, instead of teaching topics, Let's have a collaborative uh, sort of coffee shop setting where we're discussing uh, topics related to public policy. Mm. Ooh, you know, who how do we go there? And what we did, I worked with one student on this, graduate student, and we called it think tank because that's what think tanks do, right? Secular, whether they're conservative, you know, Hoover Institute or they're- Smart, they're, smart marketing. They're yes, and- then we have a topic. So um, we've been able now to discuss, does a Christian have an obligation to even be in the public sphere? sphere? And we use the Bible to answer that question. How does a Christian make decisions on social programs? Do you vote for this social program or not? Um, We talked about euthanasia, uh, laws around death and dying. Uh, we're going to talk about transgender and uh, sexual identity laws coming up, and connect all that back uh, to the Bible. So that's an example of students kind of saying, "Hey, you know, we're going to get a little bit more relevant." And so we developed this series, and and uh, and I teach that, and I have a lot of fun with it. I bring a ton of resources, and obviously from others. But
2: I know Lucas know. is kind of drooling a little bit about those kinds of ideas because that's what he. Uh, that that he loves that and, and he's really oh. he's really good at well my bring the law into it.
0: My yeah it's I have a weird background uh Bob I don't I don't think maybe you don't know I don't know but I, yeah. I taught philosophy for over 15 years uh-huh. from well I've taught actually from K through twelve uh through through the university system. Um so I've taught 185 college and university courses. A few of those have been on high school campuses. That's why I say K through 12. But um, in the LAUSD district, you know, oh, I guess yeah. the D is district, so it's like saying USB number for a book. The B is the book <laughs> means right. book USB. But anyway, um, the uh, the comment I was going to make was that uh, my my PhD is in pub public law. And oh heard, my goodness. So I'm bringing yeah. the. I went, Mm -hmm. I pivoted to exactly what you're talking about. And those are all the, um, tough. I guess they're all tough topics to be honest with you, but those are tough in a social way. I think Mm -hmm. like being included and, and feeling like Mm -hmm. it's kind of risky, like socially. Yes. uh, Yes. You know, um,
1: to, And, and I'd also say to add to that, so it's think tank is the series name and the subtitle is christian civil civics so that's that's our emphasis right uh christians in a civic way but doing it in a civil manner which is not present today right so teaching that
0: through each
1: session is kind of our goal
0: i can see how that fits with toyota too the the corporate mm. yeah that's a good i mean civil society I'm a a big fan of civil society. I think it's, I don't want to see it disappear. If you know what that word means, it's a technical word in political science, like in American politics, civil society, civics. I would refer anybody who wants more on that, a deep dive on that to Alexis de Tocqueville's democracy in America. He talks a lot about civil society. He came from France in the early 1800s. 1800s and just observed the phenomenon of America and he talks about civil society and these voluntary organizations that show up where people get together and they the government didn't make them do it they just spontaneously had an interest in mind together and and of course being civil is part of that you can't make that work unless you're nice to each other (laughs) No, you know, that's like a bowling league or it could be mm-hmm. it, it could be uh, you know, I mean it, you name it, you know, mm-hmm. any Shooting number club. of things. Sure. <laughs> absolutely. Shooting club.
1: Mm-hmm. Um office he, environment, right? I mean, it's 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 how C.S. Lewis finally saying. finally yeah. got to the point because he was he was respected. There was civil discourse amongst him and all of the inklings, and J.R.R. Tolkien finally said something that clicked. And
0: well, and having a flourishing civil society is, I think, I think De Tocqueville caught mm-hmm. this is that that that's the magic of America. It's not. It's the government has a had a remote function mm-hmm. for people back then and the the larger and more obtrusive government gets as as um the american citizen kind of shrinks into a dependent governmently dependent person uh the the civil society is choked off i think so it's great what you're doing is is awesome uh i wanted to make one more connection which was, um, I'm forgetting what it was at this point, but um, let's see if I can remember what it was. Well, maybe it wasn't that important to talk about, but um, yeah, so we have, you have ministries all across the United States and they're primarily on college campuses. Is that fair to say, would you say,
1: Russia? There's a a segment that is, Uh, Focused on high school for someone that's got a a burning desire and passion and opportunity to do that. And then there's also a segment that's focused on the professors in the university. That's strategic. Because if, yeah, if we can get uh, their hearts and minds uh, and even to teach them just how they can practice their Christianity and free speech, you know, it's important too. How, how's the funding work?
0: That's, that's one. I had two questions, actually. The fund, the funding. Can let's say you're local and you want to only support your local mm-hmm. chapter. I don't know if you call it a chapter, but yeah, we do. How do how do you make sure your 25 bucks for that pizza goes to that exact mm-hmm. ministry? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of different pathways. You can go to org. Okay. You can say donate you type university of North Texas, and then you go to that specific and it, and it tells okay. you, uh, or just use the link. Like I'll send you the link. Okay. Um, but in addition, uh, you know, I, I contribute to the overall rashiachristy.org cause that pays for the organization as well. And, um, then e- each person like myself, I'm considered a chapter director and I could, uh, if this was my full-time ministry and, uh, you know i needed income in order to support that full time ministry then i would recruit sponsors and then they would contribute directly you know to me through the unt chapter so there's all those avenues directly i happen to be in this part time i have the full time gig so i don't ask for contributions for me but just for the students for fees for conferences uh, or food or signage posters, things like that. So there's all those different ways to manage it. Cool. And the other thing I remembered
0: was Mm -hmm. the comment about quality. Mm. And I, so I was going to ask you a question, but I didn't want it to be misunderstood. Mm. I was going to ask you how many people you reach. And I I wanted to qualify Mm -hmm. that because I think I don't like it when people go right to the numbers because mm-hmm. that quantified way of measuring quality, I think mm-hmm. is flawed from the beginning, <laughs> because then if you're just asking about numbers, how many people you reach, how many people attended, uh, you know, this and that, how much are you, re- that that kind of sidesteps the quality issue, right? Mm-hmm. Because pe- every person is valuable to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everybody's made in the image of God. If you reach one person, mm-hmm. uh, the Lord looks at that the same, I think as if you reached a thousand people. Mm-hmm. Now that's not how we think, <laughs> especially if you run a ministry and you're trying to justify mm-hmm. your existence. Not that you're trying to, I'm not saying that's what this is about, oh. but I'm, I'm just saying yeah. for people in ministry or any organization Oftentimes numbers come up, and so I think it's important to contextualize mm-hmm. the question about numbers in a uh, a a a, a, in a warmer environment for the individual person. I think the concern mm-hmm. is that. So I, I only yeah. ask because I'm I'm not saying that's how I measure qu- quality. Yeah. Um. I'm personally more impressed with high quality apologetics to 10 people mm-hmm. than I am milk toast watered down to a hundred people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Does that make yeah. sense to you? Oh yeah, it makes it makes great sense to me. And it's it's how I'm I'm thinking too particularly I'm in the startup phase, right? There's uh I think there's 120 different student organizations at UNT. So I'm I'm probably the newest one, I'm certainly the newest Christian one. And it's gonna take a while to get going. So be patient. And and I talk to our officers a lot and I I use the phrase and I'm talking to myself as much as I am to them. We're being faithful and God will deliver the harvest. And so there's different layers of this quality and a quantity equation. For example, when last semester, and that was our first semester, as an official student organization, we did an all-campus event that we recruited for uh, in the student union, so a neutral area and a well-known area. And we brought an outside speaker in, and we got a crowd of forty-five people. We'd set up for seventy-five or eighty, so it, it didn't it didn't look like it was a failure to those that were sitting there. There was a little bit of room.
0: And, Can I ask how many of those 45 people, how many of those people were created in the image
1: of God? I just got to, yeah, yeah, I want to exa- get the numbers. Yeah, exactly. Demographics. Think, uh, as far as I could tell, all 45 were humans 45. created in the image of God. Wow. Yeah. And, and okay. so hundred percent, you're batting a hundred percent, hundred percent. And, and then furthermore, to kind of go down the scale when I sit at a table with one of my um, officers or students, and we're now greeting people as they're walking in, which we did last Friday, where they're walking in the student union and we're saying, hey, have you heard about Roshio Christie? Or we put a uh we put a question up, you know, um, answer the question and get a snack. And the question is, what do you believe about God? And now we get some conversations going and we get a chance to promote. So, so now there's another 20 or 30 people. And, you know, just from a you guys probably know Greg Coco well. Greg says, you know, our our job is to garden and drop a pebble in their shoe. And you know, the the person that I talked to at the table, I might see them again in 2 years and they remember me and they've connected on a few things and they've joined our group me and so they've seen some of the so it's just hard to know what's happening in this garden. And then our weekly meetings is more focused and intense and the size of size of our group has been as large as 17, but no larger than that. And as small as like five. And when the five are there and I bring an outside speaker, you know, I get a little pit in my stomach, right? Um, But I try not to let that uh, impact me because I know those five are really being blessed and enriched and our mechanism is we record everyone, whether it's a live, person or they come in on zoom we record it we put it on a youtube private channel and then i send that out and i get a few views on those uh and then finally going deeper in the funnel my officers and i have a great ability to go go deeper together and so i have a book club with them and then we read through actually we're reading through uh um, Turek's book, I Don't Have the Faith to Be an Atheist, one chapter at a time. And now we have deep discussions and deep conversations, and then we go back and forth. So I see all those layers in this quality-quantity mix, and just we're going to stay faithful and see what God you know, delivers in the harvest.
2: You know, I, I, I want to say I really, I really like that. I mean, that's just, that, that speaks, I, I don't know about you, Lucas, but that, that speaks to me in what Lucas and I are doing here um you know just being faithful and mm-hmm. trusting that the god will provide that he he's he's where our provision lies um i it, it made me think like when i was a youth pastor uh many years ago uh i, I remember was showing up to youth group one night and there w- it, it was raining or something and there were like two kids two and the, the other guy that was kind of handing off the ministry to me, he was one of my mentors, early mentors, just awesome guy, Kurt Hanks. Um, and he said to me, you know, I was like, well, what do we do? There's only two people, you know? And he goes, we teach. (laughs) And, and it was just like, it was such a profound moment for me in my young reaching out to people. Um, and, and I've brought that into coaching as well, where it's like, you know, sometimes pe- girls will come over and they'll want to play and there's only three people. Well, OK, so we're not having practice, but we're having a private lesson.
1: And mm-hmm. you're going to get
2: a lot better at some things that other people are going to miss out on for whatever reason that they, they didn't come. So here we go. And it's like you're given private lessons when it's five and you're given group lessons when it's 17. You know, it, it, that's great. I just love it. No matter what we're, we, we teach.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we stay faithful. We're, I got a, I got an
0: anecdote for you, Bob, uh, because I, and I'm really glad to hear that the quality quantity thing is on your radar, because oftentimes it just needs to be on your radar. Really, yeah. yeah. Well, for a lot of people, it's not doesn't even seem to be something they think about. Mm-hmm. But I had at Cal State Northridge, which is in the city of Lost, I call it Los Angeles. Mm-hmm big Cal state school hundred. I think it's like 40,000 students. I had a Saturday class. uh, No, no, it wasn't business ethics. It was um, it was logic. Yeah, it's logic. And it was um, I think three people signed up for it, which my normal class is a full classroom, you know? So it was a little odd. I was like, hmm. And I showed up. I actually didn't check the uh, roster before I drove up there from Orange County, but I showed up to class, and the class, the campus was kind of empty on Saturday. I like teaching on Saturdays, to be honest with you. It's just kind of the the traffic is easier. It's just easier. So I get up there, nobody's there. Then I'm like, huh? Do I is do I still have a class? I'm thinking for my paycheck, right? <laughs> um it's all about the money for me, Bob, to be honest with you. Just letting, I'm that's for you. I'm gonna edit this part out, but it's really for me. It's all about the money. But anyway, uh I check my roster there in the classroom computer and I see there's only three people. And no none of them are there on the first day of class. So I'm like, I guess they're gonna drop or something. I think it was like no, it was five people. I think five people or something, and then three showed up eventually and of those 3 one person stayed the whole semester so i taught a class with one person and i that semester i had to really process the quality quantity thing in my mind because i had to deal with my own anxiety about pay and money and cal state let that class go and i don't know exactly why i have a feeling it's because it was a special schedule and they have some kind of policy on reaching under you know people that work full time i don't know what it i didn't ask it's not like i was going to ask who knows why they maybe it was an uh, accident but anyway this kid's dad was mel gibson's personal assistant and there's more to the story that i'm not going to share but there's something, but it, it got me thinking, I, I, you know, on this project too, if I, if we get 30 views on a, on a video, I personally think that's a win because that's typically what my classroom is. And that's fine. I'll teach a whole semester with 30 people. And I'm confident that God will bring the right people. Amen. Who he wants to reach just the right person, what I mean by the right person is not somebody famous or even necessarily someone who knows somebody famous. That's not what I mean. I don't want to give that impression, but I mean, it's, I have to say that because I'm in Los Angeles and that's kind of a lot of the mentality for a lot of people, not just in LA all across America, but it's about reaching who the spirit is working in at mm-hmm. that moment, and this was a logic class, right? And we ended him and him and I ended up having. By he was a he was a Hispanic kid, Mexican kid, and um, he and I ended up having conversations that professors and students just never have. And going pretty deep in logic as well, I mean I taught the class as if it was full, and it was just one person there for like most of the semester the the others showed up like here and there for a couple of weeks and then they you know they didn't drop until it was too late. but yeah, so I had to really process that at that at that time, and I'm not saying I have it any figured out, but I, I mean that it, God put that on my radar you know, the quality quantity thing. And I had to confront it, you know, thank God I got paid. So it wasn't that issue, but, (laughs) but it was um,
2: that's for another time.
0: Yeah. It's, it's (laughs) perennial. It doesn't go away. And so the the Uh mystery of what, what the Lord is doing in economics, politics uh, in, in people's hearts, discipleship, what he's doing doesn't always match the programs that we have and the the you know the money and the all that stuff it doesn't doesn't quite match in our minds and so getting those two as close as possible like it seems like it it, it, it's never exactly a fit between our our programs and god's priorities and but just having it on your radar and that's where i'm at now i don't know what you think about
1: that. You probably thought about that.
2: Yeah. Lucas, can I speak
1: to, I think we're all amen on what you just said. I mean, that is, that's the way to think of it, but I also would like to speak to the other side of the coin because I've been in, in ministries before churches, particularly where the attitude is kind of cop like, Hey, it doesn't really matter how we do this thing um, because we're just going to be faithful and God will provide. And for my ministry, and then for other Joshua Christi chapters uh, that I've been involved in, if we if we we have to balance right, it's two sides of the same coin. We have to balance this quality quantity thing because if if we don't see fruit, then maybe there's some action, some countermeasures that in the Toyota speak we would take, and that we ought to take. Uh, for example. When's the last time you tabled? Uh, I'll give you another example. My, my officer team and I, when we developed our charter and our student organization, we developed a brand promise. In other words, we said, this is what how we want our student organization to be perceived on campus. When people think of us, they don't think uh, intolerant nerds because that's what can happen in apologetics. They think... Um, Warm, fun, intelligent, discussion oriented. They they think these things that we want them to think. So we always have to make ourselves be that and not that. And that means our flyers, the way we greet people. So we, we do have to hold ourselves accountable. That's my only point. Um, but we do the best, we do the best we can in that, in that both sides of the of the coin. We can't lose sleep over it. But we do need to do the very best we can uh, to be great representatives of Jesus on campus and love loving God with your heart, soul and your mind, you know, and that doesn't mean you're a nerd, uh, because that's the natural tendency, right, guys that want to talk about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, right. And sometimes I find myself in that same spot, too, and I got to pull myself out of it, you know, does that make sense? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, to me, when I hear that, I hear self awareness, no. your skill set. You're going to, you're marketing yourself. That's not a choice. It's happening. You are, <laughs> you are, there is, is, it, is a it, perception.
2: Allen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you're, what's, what is it? What is it that people see you as? And so just being aware of that and saying, well, is that who we really are? Is that, um and and then the the angels dancing on the head of a pin that's a great comment because because that's about self-awareness i think just just like st- i mean so many times in the philosophy department at biola i was like you know if, if people were watching what i'm seeing this discussion <laughs> just like <laughs> They would probably leave philosophy forever. You know, it's like you know, people getting into the weeds so deeply. But mm. I mean, private conversations are one thing. But uh, mm, yeah, right. how how things are perceived is is really. And I I suck at that. I mean, like that's probably why I only had one guy show up to my logic class. This is how it was marketing marketed logic. <laughs> yes or no, oh, yeah, logic. I, I do that. I do that. Everybody, There was like one one guy that was like, I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a great skill. Everyone, the kids uh, today, they need logical thinking. And, you know, we haven't talked about logical fallacies yet, but I mean, just to help them spot the top two or three, that is, that'll serve them the rest of their life. You know, you know this so well.
2: Well, there's, I I, want to point out too that there's, there's a, uh, there's an apology. There, there's, I want to say it's, it's apologetical <laughs> mm-hmm. in a sense to even have that perception that you're talking about on your radar, because that, that, that's like an open door to be inviting to others is an apologetic in and of itself. It's part of the mm-hmm. Um When, when, you know, I, That's I'm remembering- a really
0: good point, Curtis. That's a really yeah. good point.
2: I'm reminded of an opera uh, or uh, a circumstance, I guess, where where I, I was coaching and two of my kids were uh, uh, didn't make the grade to be able to play, right? And so I just wanted to confront it right up front in the open with everyone. Not everybody would approach it this way, but I said, "All right, so and so, you you need help in this subject. So and so, you need help in this subject. Who's good in this subject? Blah blah blah." And the kids were kind of like. All of the kids were like, oh, we're, we're, we're talking about this in volleyball. And I said, hey, we're a team on and off the court. You know, we do both and we support. This is our culture, et cetera, et cetera. And and I and one of the kids said something like, well, that's a little nerdy, you know, or something like that. And I said, I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. Do you do you know? I mean, I've studied this. I've done this. Blah, blah, blah. I'm good in both areas. And that's what we are at this school. We're scholar athletes. Cause I, that's what I, I had said, the word scholar and we're going to be scholarly. And one of the guys like, that's such a nerdy word scholar, you know? <laughs> and, and I said, but I'm a nerd, you know? And so I immediately normalized it in the group and they were like, huh? Okay. We're scholars too. Mm-hmm. And, and over weeks, it made a difference actually in everybody. And it made a difference in our team and it bonded us together and it's all that perception that you're talking about. It goes to talk to your point about how important that is, um, and and it changes their minds because as as we know, uh, most of the most social problems we have are in our own heads, <laughs> you know. Whereas if we just are normal and approach people as if everything's normal, much more is normal. <laughs> so I, I just really like that you pointed that stuff out. I just wanted to share like connect with that i think it's important
0: i don't know how many courses they have in the apologetics program on being warm (laughs) or 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 you know but you're a great example of using standard business skills like marketing and stuff like that to for christian apologetics absolutely Mm -hmm. we want to be respectful of your time bob um curtis did you have anything you wanted to finish with
2: no, this is, this is like other stuff with, you know, you get somebody that God brings <laughs> and you just want to spend a ton of time with them, but we can do another time, you know, talk about sure. yeah.
0: follow up with you, I um, love it. Bob, uh, tell us again, your website, how do we support what you're doing? Yeah.
1: And the, the, the website for Rashi Christi, it's, uh, R-A-T-I-O-C-H-R-I-S-T org. R-a-t-r-i-s-t, and then uh, you can just click on University of North Texas and you'll go to our donation page. And if you stay on that main page, then you can learn all about Rasho Christi and our chapters around the country, our resources. And um, for those of you that have this passion to take what you know, and then to practically give it to others, Rasho Christi is a great platform for that, so. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we
0: are so grateful for your time for joining us today on, on our little time together. And we look forward to connecting with you again. It's been a real blessing. Thanks,
1: Lucas. Thanks, Curtis. Have that. a great day and weekend.